You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussain Gamani. For more information on other classes by Mufti Hussain Gamani and more renowned scholars, please visit qalaminstitute.org. And Jazakallah Khair for listening. الحمد لله وكفى وسلامنا على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد So today inshallah we are starting a new series of classes and this particular series will surround around the theme of the lives of the companions lives of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophets of Allah, the stories that we're going to be covering, inshallah, are all enlisted within the Qur'an itself, inshallah, Aziz. So from one perspective, you can look at this as a class on lives of the Prophets. And from another perspective, you can also look at it as stories from the Qur'an. The stories of the Qur'an titled is a little bit broader than lives of the Prophets because there are certain stories in the Qur'an that are not only limited to Prophets, but they are related to people who are not Prophets. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned their lives, whether briefly or uh, with explanation in the Qur'an. For example, we have the story of Luqman alayhi salam and others who are not prophets as agreed upon, but their story is still there. So I'd like to think of this class as lives of the prophets. The Qur'an covers many themes. In the Qur'an you'll find discussions relating to ibadat, how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the Qur'an you'll find themes relating to aqaid, how to correctly believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then mu'asharat, mu'amalat, interacting with people, and then having financial transactions. A great portion of the Qur'an, actually a great majority of the Qur'an, is dedicated to spiritual reform and giving us constant reminders. And in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And give them the reminder, for indeed the reminder is beneficial for those who believe. Now the scholars, they say that if you bring those themes of the Qur'an together that relate to reminders, giving us reminders, you will find that they break down into four types. There are four major types of reminders in the Qur'an. What are they? The first is what they call, Tadkir bi'ala'illah. The second is what they call, Tadkir bi'ayatillah. The third is what they call, Tadkir bi'ayyamillah. And the fourth is what they call, Tadkir bima'bad al-mawt. So the first one is tadkir bi ala illah. What does that mean? What that means is reminder through the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ala, like we see in the Quran, Fabi ayyi, ala ala means the favors of Allah. So the purpose behind this sort of a reminder in the Quran is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of His favors the favor of sight, the favor of um, being able to um, hear the favor of being able to interact with other people. There are so many favors mentioned in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has directly or indirectly showered upon us. Now the purpose behind these favors is so that we think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was so generous and so kind that He gave us these favors that today we're able to benefit from them. Had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not given us these favors, we wouldn't have been able to benefit from them. So they remind us of the great favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you owe someone a favor, it also creates a responsibility upon you that you serve that individual. And when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His favors are unlimited. So our service to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be on our mind day and night. The second is what they call Tathkir bi ayatillah. This relates to, and actually the first one, you know, um, the ayah, the ala Allah, the ala illah, the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking a remembrance from them, taking a lesson from them, is actually something mentioned in the Quran itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fadkuru ala Allah la'allakum tuflihun. That and take remembrance, take a lesson from the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that you may be successful. Don't forget to remember the favors that Allah has showered upon you. Because when a person becomes neglectful of the favors, then you become um, someone who's unthankful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like those who are ungrateful. Allah says in the Quran, لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ وَلَإِن كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِي لَشَدِيدٌ That if you're thankful, I will increase you. When a person gives you something and you say thank you to them, then they have the desire to give you more. 
But if they give you something and you're not thankful to them, then you're being ungrateful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes upon those who are ungrateful. So, فَذْكُرُوا آلَىٰ اللَّهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ The second type of remembrance is what we call تَذْكِيرْ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ This is where we ponder over the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the earth around us. So for example, we look at the stars, the sun, the moon like Ibrahim salam did. And by looking at the creation of Allah, it made his faith that much more deeper in his heart. One of the unfortunate realities of our time is that we are disconnected from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're constantly surrounded by materialism. You know, we're sitting on carpet. In front of us there's cement. On top of us there's a roof. These lights are artificial. This air here is artificial. This mic system is artificial. We're so surrounded by man-made things that we don't get to interact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because we don't need to interact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what that ultimately leads to is us not having a need for Allah. Many people will tell you living in the West that, hey, I don't need Allah in my life. I have everything taken care of. I don't need Allah. I have money. I have a car. I have a house. I have heating at home. I have a wife that I go back to. I have children who serve me. Why do I need God in my life? Because we don't see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who can sit here in this gathering and say that I actually saw the moon this month? Seeing the moon, losers do that, right? Who, who pays attention to how quick the sun rises and then from the moment it rises, how long it takes to set down? How many hours is the actual day? In order for us to know how many hours a day is, we have to go and check the calendar. You know, what time was sunrise yesterday? What time is sunset tomorrow? We're so disconnected from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence, the, favors, the signs of Allah don't mean anything to us. And I, mean, and I mentioned this to uh, a lot of my friends. That one of the reasons why atheism is so prominent in our communities, one of the reasons why atheism is so prominent in our communities, is because we have become materialistic people. We don't have the need for God in our life anymore. You go back to a third world country, India, Pakistan, Middle East, Africa, wherever you want to go, and people who are suffering, people who are destitute there, they don't have wealth, they interact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very regularly. You know, the, the sun is beating down on them. The only way they can take shade is by going under Allah's tree or Allah's cloud. So shade equals to the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the heat picks up and the desert turns into an oven, the only way to quench your thirst is by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving you water, which will come directly from the earth. Either from a river, from a pond, uh, drinkable you know, sources of water that may be gathered from a spring, or you know, it comes from the earth, that's where it's going to come from. You have to interact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's earth. And people would throw their buckets inside the earth. You know when they were pulling the bucket out in, from inside the earth? That in itself was a form of interaction. You know, you ask many people in the gathering, where does water, water come from? The only thing we'd say is from the sky. It's because we see it coming down in rain, but we have no idea that people that drink water, where do they extract drinking water from? It comes from the earth, that's where it comes from. For most of us, it comes from plastic bottles. We're so surrounded by, by materialism. And because of that materialistic life that we live, we've become so disconnected from God. One of my teachers used to say something. He used to say that atheism in reality is materialism. Every religion in the world is identified by what they believe in. Every religion in the world is identified by... What did I say? What they believe in. What do you call a Muslim? You call a Muslim a Muslim. Why? Because he follows the religion of Islam. What do you call a Christian? A Christian because his faith is Christianity. Right? A Jewish is a Jew because his faith is Judaism. Atheism is an interesting trick though. Because what does atheism mean? A means the absent of. So A social, A political. Atheism. Theism means the belief in God. Atheism is the one who says that I don't believe in God. So if you don't believe in God, then what do you believe in? That's one of the biggest struggles when dealing with atheists because you don't know what they are. They're not saying who they are. It's kind of like a guy who walks into the room and you ask him, Hey, who are you? Hey man, I'm not Chinese. Okay, who are you? You know what? I'm not African either. Brother, just say who you are already. Right? Atheist. I don't believe in God. Okay, what do you believe in? Tell me so I can do some research on it and come back and deal with you. So, atheism, that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult, because they are the only people who I know who actually identify themselves by what they aren't, when in reality, people should be identifying themselves by what they actually are. Now, after that, when you look at a theist, someone who believes in God, in particular, a monotheist, someone who believes in one Allah, like Muslims, we believe in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to us, our reality in life is Allah. That's what the reality is. Everything else around you can come and go, Right? But that doesn't really matter. What really matters is that you believe in Allah and you die in that belief. 
Luqman the wise said to his son that if you were to take everything from this world except for the love of Allah, you have miserably failed. And if you were to take nothing from this world and only the love of Allah, there is no one more successful than you. Right? He's trying to get his son to understand that the most important thing, the most valuable commodity, the most valuable asset that a person can gain from this world is the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything else can fluctuate. You know, whether you live in an apartment, whether you live in a house, whether you live in a mansion, when you go into the grave, these things will be absolutely irrelevant. You know when you go to the graveyard, next time you're driving past a graveyard, do you have any idea what ratio of people lying in the graveyard actually owned houses? Does anyone know? Does anyone care? Yes or no? Nobody cares. When you drive past that graveyard, whether it's the Roosevelt graveyard or any of these graveyards here, do we have any idea of what ratio of people were business owners or had houses or had you know, rental properties that they were gaining income from? Do, do people care about these things? No. These things aren't... The only thing people do care about, especially those who have faith, people of faith, when they walk through the graveyard, they'll ask themselves, do this person believe in Allah or do this person not believe in Allah? That's the most important thing. So... Materialism is a very interesting thing, and I'm going to talk about this up ahead, because this is one of the things the prophets came to destroy. They came to help. A part of Revelation was to destroy materialism, to help people understand the most important thing in life was to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My teacher used to say something interesting. He would say, for a theist, theist is someone who believes in God again, for a theist, God is a reality and everything else around him is a philosophy. While for an atheist, God is a philosophy and everything else around him is a reality. Right? Everything else around him is a reality. This is worth living for. As for God, God's a philosophy. He might exist, might not exist. You know, let's talk about that in a philosophical, from, from a philosophical context. But he's not a reality. Right? Well, for a Muslim, well, for a believer, whatever, theis, whatever theism you follow, God is always a reality. So that's the focus and core of your life. So this is one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, تَذْكِيرْ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ Interacting with the signs of Allah. The Arabic poet, he says, لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ لَهُ آيَةٌ تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ وَاحِدٌ That in everything around you, there is a sign, there is a symbol. Everything around you. And that symbol, what are these signs leading towards? تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ وَاحِدٌ They are there to remind you that there is only one Allah. That's it. That's what is there to remind you. How perfect your body is, how perfect your organs function. How you have the ability to think, to function and process. This all reminds you of only one Allah, only one Allah. The third type of reminder, and this tafkir bi ayatillah is also mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Yusuf, وَكَأَيِّمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ يَمُرُّونَ عَلَيْهَا وَهُمْ عَنْهَا مُعْرِضُونَ وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ That how many times does it happen that we walk past the signs of, in the skies and the earth, but we don't, we don't see it. We just turn away and we don't, we don't focus. And if a person was to focus on that, they would find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third is what we call تَذْكِيرْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ What does that mean? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an gives us constant reminders of earlier days, earlier favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the people that came before whether it was in the form of people being punished, or whether it was in the form of people being purified. So there are stories in the Qur'an, incidents that happen before us. Whether it was before the creation of the earth, or before our creation. The Qur'an has a lot of detail in it regarding the people that came before. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ibrahim tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ That remind them of the people that came earlier on. Because that reminder again of the people that came before will keep them fresh. It'll keep them, you know, there's a lot of benefit in hearing stories of people that came before. What are those benefits? I'll come to them in a moment. So that's the third type of reminder. The fourth type of reminder is what we call تَذْكِيرْ بِمَا بَعْدَ الْمَوْتِ And this is to reflect on what will come after death. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Qaf, فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٍ and give a reminder through the Qur'an for the one who fears the wa'id. The wa'id is that which is promised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And most commentators of the Qur'an, when they define wa'id, that which is promised by Allah, they say, ay ma ba'd al-mawt, that which is promised by Allah after death. So this is those, these are those ayat and those verses of the Qur'an that now remind us of the grave, that talk about hisab, standing in front of Allah and being held accountable and Jannah, and Jahannam. Again, to keep you away from materialism, keeping you focused, to remind you the ultimate goal and purpose in life. So now, our goal is, our class, our goal in this class is going to be to discuss tadkir bi ayyamillah. 
we're going to be focusing on stories and lives of the prophets, which relates to the third, third type of reminder, which is the days of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning the stories of those that came earlier on. Now someone can ask a question, that if the Qur'an is a book sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it's the kalam of Allah, and it's such an important book, and it's a guidance from all of mankind, then what business does the Qur'an have telling stories? It should, be more, it should be more direct, it should be more instructional. Why is the Qur'an telling us stories? So this is the beauty of the Qur'an. The beauty of the Qur'an is that it relates to every individual. And the way you ensure that your statements, your examples, your, I'm sorry, the way you ensure that your statements and your point can relate to every individual is by giving them examples. You guys understand that? If you're ever trying to explain something, no matter how complicated, no matter how sophisticated it is, what you have to do to make sure the person listening to you can understand is you give them an example they'll understand. Whether it's an example they relate to. So when you're talking to a kid, for example, you will share with them a story of an elephant because children like animals. So maybe telling them the story of Alam would relate to them very well. Or the story of that when Sulaiman came to the valley of the ants. That's a story kids like hearing a lot. So the, or the story of uh, of Sulaiman and his uh, bird. He had a bird hudhud. So these are stories that children love a lot because children have an affiliation, they have a nice uh, connection, they have an affinity with birds and not only birds, animals in general. So when you're giving them an example, you make sure you can relate to them. So the Qur'an brings stories for multiple purposes, many reasons. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an himself, while explaining why stories are mentioned in the Qur'an, Allah says, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ That one of the purposes of narrating a story in the Qur'an is so that you can be aware of what happened before you. It's important you know what happened before you. And the reason why, and again this is going to come ahead many times, is the reason why it's important for you to know what happened before you, is so that you can learn from their example. Learn from the good they did. This is a big problem we have in our community, unfortunately. People are so obsessed with themselves, we're so egoistic, that we don't care about what happened to the people before us, and if anyone tells us about the story of someone else, whether they're living in our time, or even those who came before. If I were to tell someone a story of an individual who lived 300 years ago, 400 years ago, or 500 years ago, or maybe even 1,000 years ago, you know what many people would say? You know, he doesn't relate to me, I don't relate to him. Stop judging me. You know, it's, like, it's the thing everyone says, like the new thing that people in the West are saying, is that I'm so individual, I'm so self-centered, I'm so me, that no one else understands me, and I can't understand them, and don't give me their example, because they don't relate to me, and I don't relate to them. And, I, and I've seen this, I've seen this regularly. There was a particular person that I was talking to on, a, on an issue, and when I, was trying to, I was trying to explain to them that their understanding of this particular issue was faulty. And as a part of explaining that to them, I quoted to them an ayah of the Qur'an, actually a hadith of the Prophet And that person said to me, that why are you quoting me something from 1400 years ago? Does it look like that I'm riding a camel today? Exactly what that person said. And I said to this individual that look, a part of your development, a part of you being able to move forward is accepting that people before you weren't all a waste. And yes, it's true that maybe the Sahaba didn't use the iPhone or didn't use the Android or probably didn't have technology like we have, but they still left behind an example for us. They still, didn't the Sahaba teach us the importance of valuing our time? Yes or no? Now can you take that principle of valuing time and apply it to your iPhone? Yes or no? Yes. Didn't the Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ teach us that you spend your time in ibadah and not backbiting, not lying, not showing off? Is that a principle that the Qur'an taught us, that the Prophet taught us 1400 years ago? Yes it is. Now can you apply that to your social media? Even though they didn't have Facebook, see a fool or an immature person is someone who has very narrow vision, tunnel-sighted. And they have to see exactly what they're looking for, otherwise they don't understand anything. And a wise individual, someone who's mature, has broadside. And, and, and the benefit of their broadside is that anywhere they find benefit, they'll take that benefit and implement it, implement it in their own lives. You will always find a, the, a, the opportunity to take from the Qur'an and, and, and bring it into your life. And even though it was revealed 1400 years ago, even though the Prophet lived 1400 years ago, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Imagine the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the Qur'an when he's being told Ibrahim alayhi story. Okay? If this thought 
that, oh, they lived a thousand years ago, they don't understand me, stop judging me, I don't want to hear this story. If that, if that thought process was actually healthy, don't you think that when the Qur'an was talking about Ibrahim salam, the Prophet could have, to, could have told Jibreel salam, that Ibrahim salam lived a thousand years ago, he doesn't understand me, stop telling me his story. Can the Prophet have said that to Jibreel salam? He could have said that to him. He could have said to Jibreel salam that what does Ibrahim salam know about living in the desert? He only lived in the desert in Makkah Mukarramah for a few days of his life. I lived my entire life here. How are you going to tell me his story? He doesn't understand my situation. He didn't live in my heat. He didn't live in my circumstances. The Prophet could have made these arguments. But the reason why he didn't is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching the Prophet وسلم, that the wisdom is the lost property of the believer. He takes it wherever he finds it. And there is wisdom around you everywhere you look. You just have to make an effort to search for it a little bit. And when you look into the people who came before you, you'll have that opportunity. So we need to broaden our scope, broaden our mind, and not narrow it down so much to believe that there is no one that can relate to us, and that there is no one that can understand us. This is a very poisonous thought, and it will leave us isolated. We won't have spiritual guides. And there's so much I can talk about this, obviously you guys can tell this is a deep discussion, but I'm going to leave it there. So the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the first benefit of sharing stories in the Qur'an, وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Because you would be unaware of them had Allah not shared them with you. The second benefit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is that when you read the stories of those who came before you in the Qur'an, it gives contentment to your heart. وَكُلَّنْ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الرُّسُلِ مَا نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فؤادك. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that by the stories of the people that came before you, by hearing them, your heart will gain contentment, it will gain peace. Why is that? Someone who is very sick can think of the story of Ayyub alayhi salam. And how he went through so much. And he was patient. And at the end of his story, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? That we restored him to his good health and we gave him everything back. So what is Allah telling you? That be patient, be strong. There is a story for you and Ayyub alayhi salam, how patient he was, and look how Allah rewarded him. If Allah rewarded him, Allah will also reward you. But you need to match the patience of Ayyub alayhi salam. It will give you peace, it will give you contentment. And there are many instances, many instances in the Prophet's life where the stories were actually narrated of the previous Prophets to give the Prophet wasallam contentment, to give him peace, at, to deal with the challenges that he was dealing with. So for example, we know the Prophet ﷺ dealt with great difficulty in the earlier days of Islam. We all know that, right? A lot of persecution, people being foul and abusive, you know, using profanity when addressing him, and so on and so forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed the Prophet with the journey of Mi'raj. Okay? And in the journey of Mi'raj, the Prophet ﷺ went on ascension to the heavens. And while he was going to the heavens, while he was going through the heavens to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ, he met eight prophets. How many prophets did he meet? Eight prophets. Now, there are many interpretations of why the Prophet ﷺ met those eight prophets in that particular sequence. But one of the reasons the scholars say is because when the Prophet ﷺ met those eight prophets, each of those eight prophets had to offer something very special to the Prophet ﷺ. So for example, when he met Adam salam in the first heaven, the reason why he met Adam salam, the scholars say, is to remind him that Adam salam had to leave the place which was most beloved to him, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala returned him, back to, returned him back to Jannah. We know that, right? He was in Jannah, he had to leave Jannah. But where is the Prophet meeting him today? In Jannah again. Very soon the Prophet was going to have to leave Mecca to Medina, the place he loved very dearly. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising the Prophet in that Mi'raj that just as Adam came back, you're going to come back to Makkah too. And the Prophet sallallahu did come back to Makkah. First for his Umrah, and then after that as a conqueror of Makkah Mukarramah. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa met Isa salam and Yahya alayhi salam. Because the, these two were tortured severely by the Yahud, by the Jewish community. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was moving to Medina Munawwarah very soon after Mi'raj. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa for the difficulty the Jewish community is going to bring on to him. And then each Prophet one by one, we can go through them all. But that would lead to... Um, a discussion that isn't, that isn't directly related to what we're talking about. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sharing these stories so that our hearts can take content and we can take a lesson from those who came before us. The third benefit is tadabur, reflection. You know, when you read someone's punishment, you reflect over it. And when you see someone's favor, you reflect over it. And like I mentioned earlier, there will be a benefit for you. The fourth thing the scholars say is that by sharing these stories, this is a proof of the truthfulness of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How many times in the Prophet's life did he travel outside Arabia? 
out of Arabia, when I'm saying Arabia, I'm referring to the Hijaz, the peninsula. The Prophet ﷺ, he traveled three times to Syria. Okay? And Sham was considered outside Arab. It was considered outside the Arab. How many times did he travel there? Three times. The first time he went, he just arrived in Busra and he had to return back. He didn't get to go all the way. The second time the Prophet ﷺ went, he stayed there for a few days while he was a businessman performing business on behalf of Khadija bint Khuwaylid radiallahu ta'ala anha, who later on became the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. The third time the Prophet ﷺ went was in the night during the journey of Isra and Mi'raj. He said the three times the Prophet ﷺ traveled outside Arabia. Other than that, the Prophet ﷺ, he spent most of his life in Mecca, a part of his life in Medina, and then there were small expeditions, Tabuk and here and there in Hunayn, just around the lands for some battles. But look at the knowledge of the Prophet ﷺ, look at the verses of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling, the Prophet ﷺ is sharing with people of Makkah Mukarramah, and sharing with the Muslims in Medina Munawwara, the stories of a country that he's never been to in his entire life. And one particular story is the most frequently mentioned story in the Qur'an. Who is the Prophet whose name is mentioned most frequently in the Qur'an? Musa salam. Where was Musa salam from? Where was he born? Egypt. Egypt. Did the Prophet ever go to Egypt? But yet the Prophet is telling the Egyptians their story. He's telling the Arabs, you want to hear the Egypt story? Let's talk about it. And the Prophet wasallam, he's telling them the story of Yunus bin Matta. Where is Yunus salam from? Iraq. Right? He's from Nenwa, he's from Iraq. Has the Prophet wasallam ever gone to Iraq? But he's telling the people of Iraq their story. There's a famous incident that when the Prophet returned back from um, Taif, you know, after the Prophet was stoned, and when he was returning back from Taif, he was sitting in, um, in an area, and the Prophet was very exhausted, and he was in a lot of pain, and he was covered in tears. Right after the dua, you know the famous dua the Prophet made when he left Taif? Right after that moment, the Prophet was just sitting there, and he was in a lot of pain, and he was crying. So there were two people who owned a farm that wasn't too far away. They told one of the servants, that, look, that looks like some guy who's really hungry, he looks very exhausted and tired, why don't you go give him some grapes? So this person, he came to the Prophet ﷺ, and he presented some grapes in front of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, he took one grape, and look at this, I, I find this story very interesting. It's because the Prophet just came out of Taif. Taif was the meltdown. Everything happened in Taif. You know, it was one of the most, probably the most difficult journey of the Prophet's life. And even then, after that, the Prophet ﷺ is practicing what we would call the small sunnahs. When the Prophet ﷺ is presented with the grapes, he picks it up and he says, Bismillahi wa ala barakatillah. Now how many people would remember to say Bismillah, to drink water, if they're in the middle of a UFC fight and, the, and, their, and their coach is sprinkling water in their mouth? How many fighters do you think would say, hey, hold up, hold up, Bismillah rahman rahim now squeeze it. <coughs> Who would remember that? Like you're in such an intense moment in your life. You're so frustrated. And the Prophet ﷺ, he picks up the grape and he says, Bismillah. Now that individual, he said, did you just say Bismillah? The Prophet said, yes I did. He said, well in Makkah people don't say Bismillah. The Prophet asked him, the Prophet noticed this man was interested. He was, you know, he was trying to say something. So the Prophet asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm from Nenwa. I'm from Nen? Nenwa. So the Prophet wasallam said to him, Oh, I had a brother who lived in Nenwa. And he said, which brother? And he said, my brother's name was Yunus bin Matta. He was also a messenger of Allah. And this person said, you know Yunus bin Matta? My great, great, great grandfathers were followers of his. And if you're his brother, guess what? I'm going to be your follower. Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. The first person to accept Islam after Ta'if accepted Islam because the Prophet said Bismillah before eating a grape. You know, the sunnah of the Prophet is so deep, you don't know where the guidance is going to come from. Right? And another thing you learn from this particular story is that, you know, when uncles sit together and they ask, which town are you from? It's from the sunnah. Where are you from? Pakistan. Where in Pakistan are you from? Karachi. Oh, I know someone from Karachi. You know that whole mode of conversation? It's completely prophetic. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did. Some young guys get frustrated. Why are these guys always asking where I'm from? The Prophet ﷺ asked this person. He said, hey, where are you from? And the reason why the Prophet asked him was he was trying to build a bond with him. Trying to find some commonality. When you find something common between two foreign people, it creates a bridge for them to communicate and relate to each other. You guys understand that? Trying to find some bond, some common thing there. 
So these, all of these stories, and I can continue on the stories of the prophets that came before. When the Prophet is sharing these stories, one of the benefits of sharing these stories is that this is a proof of his prophethood. That how did he know these stories? And the Prophet couldn't read. So it's not like he could have read these stories somewhere. The only way the Prophet could have known these stories if he was informed from a being who was beyond all of this. And that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence the strength in revelation. Now, we can continue on and discuss this in more detail, but I'll suffice and I'll stop there. Let's talk about some semantics. Let's cover some definitions. This class is about the lives of prophets. So what are prophets? What does the word prophet even mean? And what does the word messenger even mean? So in Arabic, when we define or when we translate the English word prophet into Arabic, what's the word? Anyone know? Nabi. And when we translate the word messenger into Arabic, what's the word? Rasul. So Nabi is singular. Rasul is singular. The plural of Nabi is? Anbiya. And the plural of Rasul is? Rusul. Ya ayyuhalladheena. Ya ayyuhalrusul. Kulu min al-tayyibat. Rusul. Rusul is the plural. So what does the word Nabi mean linguistically? Now the scholars differ in opinion on the origins of the word Nabi. There are three common opinions shared. The first opinion is that the word Nabi comes from the Arabic word Naba'a, which is information. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Okay, Not just any information, it's special information. Araqib Asfahani, he says there are three conditions that must be present in that information in order for it to be considered as Naba. But information, that's the first one. The second possibility is that it's not Naba'a, it's Naba. What is it? Naba. And Naba means to for something to be elevated. That's what Naba means. And the third thing is that the word Nabi can also mean an open pathway. Now, you understand that the word Prophet can easily be derived from any of these three meanings because they're very clear in the function of a Prophet. He calls people towards a clear pathway. He is elevated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what he is sharing with them is information. The most common opinion, however, if you were to choose one of these three as the origin of the word Nabi, is the first. Naba'a yanba'u, which means to um, share information. or to, It means to share information. Naba'a means information. In Arabic, the word we use for information more commonly is khabar. What's the word we use? Khabar. Right? Mukhbir is an informer. Okay, khabar. So what's the difference between khabar and naba? What's so special about this word naba'a? Why does it mean information? So Imam Raghib al-Asfahani says that in order for information to be considered as a naba'a, it must have three characteristics. What are the three characteristics? The first thing, it must be al-mufid. It must be beneficial. If it's ghayr mufid, if what the information is not beneficial, you won't call that naba'a, you will call that Khabar, just general information. But in order for it to be called Naba, it has to be beneficial. The second thing, when the listener hears Naba, it will have, it should have an impact on their heart. It should have an impact on their, it should give them contentment of the heart, it should make their heart feel peaceful. And the third is that it must be a true statement. So they say Khabar, information, the word Khabar in Arabic, يَحْتَمِلُ الصِّدْقُ وَالْكِذْبُ it has the possibility of being true and false. As for Naba, it only has the possibility of being truthful. And a prophet's information, does it have the possibility of being false? Yes or no? Absolutely not. It only has one possibility, and what is that? Being truthful. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, there is a surah called Suratun, suratun Naba. Amma yatasa'alun anin Naba il Adim. That what are they asking regarding? Are they asking regarding the great information? Now in the surah, what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sharing with them? Allah is sharing with them Naba. Naba is beneficial. It's going to have an impact on your heart when I'm about to share with you. And also this is absolutely truthful. Now when you look at the surah, surah Naba, what does surah Naba generally talk about? It talks about the Day of Judgment, right? It talks about the Day of Judgment. And the people of Makkah Mukarramah, did they believe in the Day of Judgment? No. They used to believe that once you go in the grave, the story is... Once you're gone, you're gone. Nothing's happening after that. They believe the grave was the end of it all. Now Allah is saying, listen to the Surah Naba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, 
وعنابا وكواعب أترابا وكأسا دهاقا لا يسمعون فيها لغوا ولا كذابا جزاء and then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says يوم يقوم الروح no um, what is ayah? إن يوم الفصل كان ميقاتا يوم ينفخ في السور فتأتون أفواجا وفتحت السماء فكانت أبوابا actually I was thinking about towards the end of the ayah it's a famous ayah it slipped my mind right now خير. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that that day, ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمُ الْحَقِّ فَمَنْ شَاءَ اتَّخَذَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِ مَآبًا Anyway, these ayat of the Qur'an are very powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that when everyone stands in front of Allah, no one will have the permission to even say one word without the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this day is a reality. So in this surah, Allah is shaking them up. That wake up, O oh people. This is a naba. This is real information. This is true right here. This is beneficial. And this should have an impact on your heart. Hence the word naba. Now the word Rasul, the word Rasul means to send, messenger, to send something. Irsal means to send something. You know, on your phone, if you change the language from English to Arabic, when you're sending a text, what do they call that? Irsal, sending it. You know, you're sending a text to that person. That person sent a text, Irsal, message. Send a message. A Rasul is a messenger. Now what do these terms mean technically now? What do they mean when used in Islamic context? We understand what they mean literally, but what do they mean when they're used in an Islamic context? So when they're used in um, Sharia, or when they're used in the Qur'an, when they're used by the Prophet ﷺ, they have a meaning. And what is that? Now before I go into the meaning, I want to actually have one more discussion because this will help understand. Is there a difference between Naba and Rasul? Is there a difference between a Nabi and a Rasul? Or are they both the same? This is a question, okay? Are they both the same or are they different? Is a Nabi and a Rasul the same or are they both different? So there are two opinions on this issue. The less common opinion is that they are both the same. There's no difference. This is an uncommon opinion, but it's an opinion. That they are both the same. And this opinion was held by the famous Ibn Jarir al-Tabari and also by Imam al-Juwaini. And it was also had by a large portion of the Mu'tazila. They used to say that the Nabi and the Rasul are the same. They are not two different people. It's the same thing. The function is the same. The responsibilities are the same. It's just semantics. Otherwise, it's the same thing. However, a great majority of scholars, and I can't list their names because there would be everyone in Islam, their opinion is that there is a difference between a Nabi and a Rasul. They are two different people. Now, what's the difference? I'm going to come to that in a minute as I define what they are. But I wanted to first make this clear. Now, the people who say they are two different uh, responsibilities, two different roles, two different functions, how do they prove it? They prove it through some ayat of the Qur'an. The first one is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ وَلَا نَبِيٍ And we did, not before, we did not send before you a Rasul or a Nabi. Now had they both been the same, why did the Qur'an mention both then? If they both were the same, in the same ayah, and the same issue, why did the Qur'an mention both? That would be redundant. Would you guys agree? If they both meant the same thing, that's the first argument they give. The second argument, again, is an ayah of the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ مُوسَىٰ إِنَّهُ كَانَ مُخْلَصًا وَكَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا And remember in the book, the mention of Musa alayhi salam, indeed he was a mukhlas, he was a, he was a sincere servant of Allah, and he was a rasul and a nabi. He was a rasul and a, he was a rasul and nabi as well. So, if you understand that much, now I'm going to come to a definition of what a Rasul and what a Nabi is. First I'm going to give you a loose definition, then I'm going to give you a more technical definition. A Rasul is a messenger, which means he is granted a, a message. That's quite clear, self-explanatory, okay? A Rasul is a messenger, means he's granted a message. A Nabi is a prophet. He gives prophecy. What, is, what does prophecy mean? He tells of what's going to happen in the future. But the prophecy isn't a loose prophecy, it's actually prophecy granted through revelation by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What this means is that he is the one who isn't given a new message, rather he continues the message of the one that came before him. Are you guys with me on that much? That's a loose definition. I'm going to come to a more technical one in a moment. So under that pretext, under that concept, the Rasul is a messenger and a Nabi is the one who isn't granted a message. Yet he's selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to continue on the mission of the Prophet that came before, which is ultimately to call everyone towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you understand that, then what you learn is that Nabi is a broad word, it's general, and Rasul is a narrow word. Would you guys agree on that? Yes, no? So for example, I said, there are 
human beings, and then there are men and women. Out of these, men and women and human beings, which one is more broad? Human beings. And the one more narrow is men and women. So if I said to you, every man is a human, but not every human is a man, is that true or false? If I said to you, every man is a human, but not every human is a man, is that true or false? It's true, because the more narrow one is encompassed by the one that is more broad, but not vice versa. So similarly, I want you to listen to this statement. It may be a little confusing, but if you pay attention, you'll understand it. Every Rasul is a Nabi, but not every Nabi is a Rasul. Do you guys agree with that statement? Every Rasul is a Nabi. He's selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gives prophecy. He's granted. Every, he's, a, he's a Nabi. But is every Nabi a Rasul? No. That's why regarding Musa alayhi salam, Allah says, إِنَّهُ كَانَ مُخْلَصًا وَكَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا That Musa alayhi salam was a Rasul and he was also a Nabi as well. But is every Nabi a Rasul? No. What's an example of a Rasul? What's an example of someone who was granted a message? Nuh alayhi salam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Isa alayhi salam. Anyone else? Musa alayhi salam. There are many examples, right? Suhufi Ibrahima. But Musa Ibrahim alayhi salam was also one of the anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna arsalna nuhan ila qawmihi nuh alayhi salam. So these are messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now who are the prophets? What is the name of a prophet? Someone who wasn't a messenger but was a prophet. Yeah, Dawood alayhi salam was a messenger. So his son Suleiman alayhi salam was going to be a prophet. Musa alayhi salam was a messenger. So his brother Harun alayhi salam was going to be a Prophet. Okay. You guys understand that? You guys understand that concept? Now, I want to address the same issue, the difference between a prophet and a messenger from another perspective. Okay, I want you guys to pay attention. Every text has two perspectives, two aspects to it. The first aspect of the text is its words. The second aspect to the text is its meanings. You guys understand that? The al-fad and the ma'ani. The al-fad and the ma'ani. That's why, as Muslims, when we preserve the Qur'an, our focus isn't only to preserve the words, our focus is also to preserve the, the ma'ani, the meanings. And to preserve both is equally important. Now, historically, the scholars make an argument. They say that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a text, if the meanings were changed by the people, Allah sent a prophet to fix the meanings. But if the words were changed, then Allah sent a messenger to give them words again. You guys understand the difference of the function now? If the, word, if the meaning was changed, if Allah sent a, a um, He sent a text, and the people were twisting and turning the meaning of what Musa alayhi salam said, right? Or what Dawud alayhi salam said, or what you know Isa alayhi salam said. After Isa alayhi salam, there was no Nabi. The next prophet was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But you know when they twisted the meanings, then after that Allah subhanahu wa taala sent a prophet. Because what is a prophet's job to clarify the meanings? Okay. But on the other hand, if they changed the, the, the actual words, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was sent a messenger. That's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said something very interesting. He said, Al-ulama'u warathatul anbiya. Have you guys heard of that? The, the, the scholars are the heirs of the prophets. Why didn't the Prophet say, Al-ulama'u warathatul rusul? That the scholars are the heirs of messengers. Why did they say prophets? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised to preserve the word. There was never going to be a need for the prophets. Messengers, sorry. Allah already promised that we will preserve the, the text of, the, of your Qur'an will be preserved until the day of judgment. The one thing that might, people might try to change is the meaning. So, Allah, so the prophet is saying, Al-ulama'u warathatul anbiya. Their responsibility will always be to make sure that the meaning is secure. The meaning is secure. The scholar, what does the scholar do? He preserves the meaning of what's being shared. You guys understand now that another perspective of the difference between the Rasul and the, and the Nabi. Now that you understand that, let's get into some um, technical definitions of Rasul and Nabi again. I gave you a brief definition. Now let's get into the more technical, more clear definition. So the scholars, they say that a Nabi is فَهُوَ إِنسَانٌ حُرٌ ذَكَرٌ اِخْتَارَهُ اللَّهُ وَخَصَّهُ بِتَبْلِغِ الْوَحْيِ إِلَيْهِ that the Rasul, the Nabi, the Messenger, the Prophet is insan. What's the first thing? Human. What's the first condition? He must be human. The second thing, hurran. What does hurran mean? Free. Free. A Prophet cannot be a slave. Dhakarun. What does that mean? Male. He cannot be a female. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected him. If a person is a human being, and they are free, and they are male, can they just say, hey, I'm a prophet? Yes or no? What did I just say? Ikhtarahullah. Means who has to select him to be a prophet? Allah. Can everyone in the world say, hey, you know what? We agree that from now on, Aga Khan is going to be the prophet. Or so-and-so person is going to be the prophet. Or this person is going to be a prophet. Can mankind gather together and appoint one person? Because what's the condition here? What's the technical definition? Ikhtara Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is conveying this person. Who is selecting this person. And Allah, why is that? وَخَصَّهُ بِتَبْلِغِ الْوَحْيِ إِلَيْهِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving him the responsibility to convey that, that, that revelation to other people. The revelation of those that came before now, while we're at it, I'll just give you the definition of a, of a messenger at the same time. It's more or less the same thing. The only difference is that when it comes to a messenger, the scholars, they say, human being, free, must be a, must be a man, and must be selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, the messenger is also granted a message. Now, in this technical definition, there are four things that I want to address. Human being, free, not being a slave, a masculine must be a man, and also selected by Allah. I want to address these four things briefly, and then we can move forward. Okay. So why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending the messenger in the form of a human being? Wouldn't it have been so much more easier if the messenger was an angel? Do you guys agree? Can someone make that argument? Hey man, I'm sure someone can make that argument. Why didn't Allah, why didn't God just send an angel, and it would have been so much more easier. Everyone would have seen the wings and said, oh, he's got wings, he's a messenger. Right? This person is definitely a messenger. No debate left. This person is sent by God. Let's just believe in him. It would have been so much more easier. And this argument isn't something new. This is a very ancient argument. This argument was made to the Prophet of Allah directly. Not on one occasion, but on multiple occasions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in Surah um, Al-Furqan, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَرْجُونَ لِقَاءَنَا لَوْلَا أُنزِلَ عَنَيْنَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ أَوْ نَرَى رَبَّنَا That those who had no hope in meeting Allah, they said, meaning the disbelievers, they said, that why don't our Lord just send an angel? Or why don't we just see our Lord and speak to Him directly? What's all this middleman? We don't want to see another human being. It was their arrogance. Their arrogance was that they didn't want to see someone who wasn't from their family, someone from their stature, claiming to be a prophet, because if some other human being claims to be a prophet, and he's not of the rank they are, they would have to humble themselves for that person and elevate that individual. And their arrogance was beyond that. You guys understand that? It's kind of like the Pakistani Mulvi coming to an Indian community and the Indian people say, I'm not going to listen to him, he's not Indian. Or for example, the Indian Mulvi or the Indian Pakistani scholar going to the Arab community and the Arabs saying, oh, he's not even Arab, how is he going to teach us? Get him out of here. You guys understand this whole racial issue? That because you're not from them, we're not going to accept them. This is something the Arabs had. They had a huge racial issue. If you weren't an Arab, they weren't going to accept you. And even within the Arabs, they had this nasty class system. It was so messed up that if you weren't from this particular clan, we didn't care what you have to say, you weren't going to be accepted. And it's unfortunate. We claim that we are civilized people who are progressive and we live in the West and we're so advanced and so educated. But have we really gone that far from uh, uh, ancient corrupted values? Yes or no? We're still trying to establish Black Lives Matter. That's what the Prophet started 1400 years ago. He's trying to tell people, he's telling everyone in Mecca, guys, hashtag Black Lives Matter, stop beating them up. The Prophet is doing this 1400 years ago, and 1400 years later, guess what's happening? We're still talking about what? Black Lives Matter. The Prophet's still addressing this issue. He lived in a very racial environment. He was dealing with these issues that we're dealing with today. You know, many of those issues from that time still apply today. They just have a... Uh, they have a new, you know, they say, and they say the same person, new garment. Have you guys heard that before? <coughs> same person, but new garment. The issues are the same. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not just send an angel? So there are many answers to this. I'm going to share with you four very simple answers. The first thing the scholars say, they say the reason why Allah did not send an angel, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a human being, is so that people can see the angel, see the human being. Had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent an angel, not every human being would have the ability to see the angel. Because require, seeing an angel requires a spiritual ability. And that spiritual uh, ability is a very tough one. Not everyone would be able to see the angel. And those who didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for them to see the angel, especially the angel that would come with the message was Jibreel alayhi salam, it would be very difficult for them. Even seeing the angel for the prophets of Allah was difficult. How many times in the Prophet's entire 23-year period of revelation did he see Jibreel in his true form? Two times. 
How many times? The Prophet only saw Jibreel alayhi in 23 years. In his original form, how many times? Two times. The first time was in the world, the second time was outside the world. The first time was during the first revelation. The Prophet said, I saw Jibreel in his true, for, true form. And that's what made the Prophet shake up so much because he, he just saw Jibreel alayhi It's kind of like, you know, the parent who's teaching their child how to swim. There are those parents who kind of slowly get them into it and then there are those who just toss them in the pool. The Prophet was tossed into the deep end. The first day, bam, Jibreel alayhi That was such a difficult thing for the Prophet. And the second time was um, when the Prophet was on Isra al-Mi'raj in the night of the journey of ascension. That was the second time the Prophet ﷺ, he saw Jibreel in his true form. So if the Prophets of Allah had such a difficult time seeing the angels, how difficult would it be for normal human beings like you and I? Right? It would be so much more difficult. And the way that the Prophet saw the angel Jibreel through the rest of his life is usually when, usually when Jibreel came in the form of a human being. And if Jibreel was going to come in the form of a human being, why not just make the, why not just make the messenger? A human being. You guys understand that concept there? That's the first argument. The second thing the scholars they say is that the benefit of having the um, the messenger or the prophet as a human being is so that people can follow them and relate to them. It's important that you learn that prophets of Allah, even though they are special, even though they are selected by Allah, they're still human beings. You guys understand that? They're human beings and they make mistakes. What? What did the shaykh just say? The prophets make mistakes? Is that possible? Yes, no? I didn't say sin. What did I say? Mistakes. mistakes. Is it possible for a prophet to make a mistake? The Prophet was leading salah. And after salah was over, the companion said, Our Messenger of Allah, you didn't read the right number of rakat. And the prophet said, I did. And they said, Our Messenger of Allah, you did not read the right number of rakat. And the prophet then repeated the prayer for the companions. There are many instances where the Prophet and this doesn't make the Prophet any less of a prophet. They were humanly mistakes. This happens, you know. The Prophet on a particular occasion, I mean, there are, I can share stories and stories, but that's not relevant here. However, the more important discussion is that can the Prophet commit a sin? That's a whole different issue. Okay? And that we're going to discuss next class. Ismatul Anbiya, we're going to cover that next class in a lot more detail, inshallah. But they do make mistakes. They are, I mean, they're human beings. The Prophets get angry. They become sad. They become happy. It's a part of their life. Now, I don't want anyone to sit here and think that, oh, just because the Shaykh said the Prophet makes mistakes and they're angry and they can get angry and they can get sad, that, 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 that lowers their rank in any way. It doesn't. It actually helps us relate to them that much more. The Prophet ﷺ in his marriage had marital issues. This is a fact. There was a time in the Prophet's life where the issue in his marriage became so sophisticated, it became so complicated that the Prophet had to go through a separation. And it wasn't just a few hours separation, the Prophet had a separation from all of his wives for how long? One month. For a whole month he was separated from all of his wives. And the companions, they said that it was so difficult for us to witness this that we actually thought the Prophet divorced his wives. And Umar radiallahu anh, when he heard this, he ran to his daughter, Hafsa. Why did he go to Hafsa? Because she was one of the Prophet's wives. And he went to her and said, did the Prophet divorce you? And what did Hafsa say? Stay out of it. She said that this is a marit- marital issue. This isn't your issue, you stay out of it. Imagine someone telling their, par- their father that. Imagine the father asked his daughter, what's happening in your marriage? And the-, and the girl said to her dad, dad, you stay out of it. What would that father do? Powerbomb from the third rope. <laughs> How dare you tell me that? Stay out of it. Is that, is that insane? You're my daughter. And Umar radiallahu anh, you know those people who say, oh, Islam's all about domestic abuse and beating up women. If Umar radiallahu anh wanted to lay the smack down, when was the perfect time for him to lay it? Right then. Right then. He was the father. Could that have been justified historically? He was a father. You know, He could have chalked it up to saying that she got lippy with me. But Umar radiallahu anh, he didn't say anything. He said, okay, that's how it's going to be. If you're not going to give me the information, I'm just going to go to my son-in-law directly. And he came to the Prophet And it's a long story, but anyway, when he sat in front of the Prophet, he made the Prophet smile. You know, and the Prophet he, 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 he entertained the, uh, the humor of Umar and the Prophet started smiling. It's a long narration. But what does the story show? It shows us that the Prophet also... He had struggles in his life. The Prophet ﷺ had financial struggles in his life. The Prophet ﷺ had rough health in his life. The Prophet ﷺ, you know, these are things. He had, to, he had struggles with parenting his children too. For five years of the Prophet's life, he was a single father. 
Khadija radiallahu anha passed away in the 10th year after prophethood. Fatima got married in the third year after third year, third year after migration. For those five, six years, how many parents did Khadija radiallahu anha have alive? I'm not Khadija, Fatima radiallahu anha have alive. This one parent. Who was that one parent? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I mean, there's so much to learn from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's life for those who wish to learn those aspects from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is for those people who say that single parents can never be good parents. That's not true. Those people who say single parents cannot be good parents, what did I just say? That's not true. It is true. It's possible. It's possible. The Prophet ﷺ did it. Obviously, he had family support there. He had other wives. He had other daughters. But as long as the family is being run by a family and not just one person, this one individual isolated nothing, then with that family support, you can get through any difficulty. The third reason why the Prophets were human beings and not angels is because there are certain things that the angels will not be able to teach the human beings. You guys understand that? What are certain things that angels will not be able to teach the human beings? For example, intimacy. Angels wouldn't be able to teach us the etiquette of that. But the Prophet taught us the etiquette of that. And his spouses, his wives, they, they share with us the direct narrations that these are exact guidelines of the Prophet when it came to intimacy. For example, uh, relieving oneself and using the washroom. These are things that prophets teach us. They teach us how to sleep, the sunnah method of sleeping. These are things, and it's all practical because we saw the companions they saw at the Prophet and the last thing the scholars they say is that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He sent the prophets as human beings because had angels been sent down angels are from the world of the unseen. What did I say? Angels are from the world of the unseen. And once a person is exposed to the unseen and doesn't believe the punishment of Allah will then descend. Once a person is shown from the unseen and they do not accept then what will happen? The punishment of Allah will descend on them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْ أَنزَلْنَا مَلَكًا لَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ That had the angel come, they would have seen the world of the unseen. And they would have a split second to believe. Whoever didn't believe what would happen, a catastrophe would happen, they would be punished by Allah immediately. And by sending them a human being, Allah was giving them all respite. Because when it comes to a human being, that's not from the unseen. The messenger is not from the unseen. He's a human being. He's a human being. And because of that, the punishment of Allah will not come directly. Now the second question is, okay, so we talked about um, insan. The second thing was hur. That must be a free person. Why not a slave? The reason is because a slave would not be able to freely propagate the deen. Being a messenger is a full-time responsibility. It's not part-time. You guys understand that? You can have how many distractions? I mean, you can have a life, but you have to know that there are certain times in your life as a prophet or messenger, you're going to have to get into it. And you're just going to have to go. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to tell you to do something, and you have to just keep going and going and going. And as a slave, you don't have that control over your life, you don't have that control over your wealth. There are many restrictions, therefore the messengers of Allah were all free people, they were not slaves. The third thing we learn is that rajulan, what does rajulan, dhakarun, sorry, what does dhakarun mean? They must be male. They cannot be female. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He says, in Surah Anbiya, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ That we did not send before you but men to whom we reveal. So is it possible for a female to be a prophet? There are two opinions on the issue. The very uh, fringe opinion, or might I say the less common opinion is that yes, there are women prophets. And they in particular say there were four women in the history of mankind that were prophets. And they actually take support from a narration which is very weak, uh, that's related to the Prophet It's very weak, but it's related to the Prophet and they use this as their support. The Prophet said in this narration, إِنَّ فِي النِّسَاءِ أَرْبَعُ نَبِيَّاتٍ حَوَّاءُ وَآسِيَةُ وَأُمُّ مُوسَى وَمَرْيَمٌ That there were four women who were prophets. Hawa, who was she? Adam salam's wife. And then Asiya. And who was she? The wife of Fir'aun. And then Umm Musa, the mother of Musa salam, and Maryam, the mother of Isa salam. So they use this support, they use this hadith to support themselves. And then additionally, they also quote certain ayat of the Quran, for example, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ That we reveal to the mother of Musa to nurse him. So what's the word they use there? أَوْحَيْنَا And wahi is only specific with? Anbiya Prophet, so they say this is a proof here that Musa alayhi salam's mother. And similarly, they quote um, 
the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Maryamu inna Allah astafaki wa tahharaki wa astafaki ala nisa'il alameen. That, O oh Maryam, indeed Allah has selected you and He has chosen you over all of the women of the earth. They're again, you know, um, emphasizing that issue. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you know, there are, there are some ayat of the Qur'an which they quote. Now, to deal with these ayat first, actually the second opinion is that that is, prophets are only men. That's the, that's the opinion of the majority of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And the people who do hold this opinion that some prophets are women, they are few in number, but they are respected people. That's why it's important that when we share something as a part of a class, we acknowledge that opinion, because these are respected scholars of Islamic history who held this opinion, even though they were few. The vast majority of scholars hold the opinion that prophets and messengers can only be men. Hence, in my definition, I said, human being, free, and also Male. That was the definition that I added there because that's the opinion of the vast majority. They explain back by saying that in the ayat of the Quran that were quoted above, there is interpretation for each of them because there are instances where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for example, they quoted the ayah, وَأُوحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ رَضِعِيهِ Okay? That uh, we revealed to the mother of Musa alayhi salam to nurse him, right? Until, um, until she feared فَإِذَا خِفْتِ عَلَيْهِ so similarly in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says so it, just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses someone directly doesn't make them a prophet are there instances in the Quran where Allah has addressed someone directly and by agreement, by consensus that person is not a prophet yes there is what's an example of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we informed the Valley of ants that that Musa that Sulaiman was about to trample. So, are you going to say the ants were also prophets of Allah? You understand the argument? So, there are instances where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala spoke to certain creation, and that happens. How do you do? How do you explain that then, in terms of an aqidah framework? You would refer to that as ilham. Ilham means an inspiration from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And human beings, other than prophets, can be inspired. There are thousands of narrations, thousands of incidents where people who were not prophets of Allah they were inspired by Allah in their unique way. There is a difference between inspiration and revelation, by the way. Revelation has no doubt of fault. Inspirations could be faulty. You guys understand that? Faulty in their meaning. You may be inspired. You may feel that, oh man, I was just inspired to do something. But you misunderstood it. In your dream, you were inspired to do something, but maybe you misinterpreted that dream. Someone asked Bana Qasim Nanuti, who was a famous scholar of the subcontinent, that what's the difference between inspiration and revelation? He pointed out a sign. He said, what does that sign say? The guy looked at it, he said, oh, I think it says this. Then they kept walking until they were standing right in front of the sign. He said, what does this sign say? He said, oh, that's what it says. So he says, that's inspiration, this is revelation. Where one is very clear, there's no doubt, no ambiguity, it's just that clear, it's black and white. And the other one, there is room for interpretation. Maybe it meant this, maybe it meant that, maybe I misunderstood it, maybe it was an inspiration. You know, it could be, it can go in many directions. Hassan al-Basri says, even though Hassan al-Basri says, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not send women as prophets, those women, however, these special women that are mentioned in the Quran and other special women that will come until the day of judgment, they are Siddiqa. What are they? So the, 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 the level beneath the prophets. Ma'an Nabiyin, what's the next degree after the prophets is? Siddiqin. Abu Bakr was a Siddiq. He wasn't a prophet, but he was a Siddiq. So they say that there are many women who hold the degree of being a Siddiq, which is a very lofty rank in itself. And Maryam salam's mother, those who say that she is a prophet, the scholars, they argue back by saying, Allah says in the Quran very clearly, wa ummuhu Siddiqa. That his mother was not a prophet, she was actually from the... She was a Siddiq, one of the people from the degree of people, the, the next category of people that follow them. So why can't there be female prophets. So there are, um, there are three um, brief explanations to this issue. The first, the scholars say, is because prophethood requires great struggle. It requires traveling through the world, standing up against the world, leading armies, and so on. And these are responsibilities that would be very difficult had they been put upon women, considering um, their physique, 
considering their responsibility towards their children, and so on and so forth. And because children are physically dependent on them, especially children when they're very young, nursing from their mothers, that would be something that would be very difficult for them to do. Hence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts this responsibility on men. The second, response, the second explanation scholars give is that because of purity issues, there are certain times during the, during the, during the month of, of a female, or during the life of the female, after birth and so on, where... Um, there's a purity issue, you know, there's, um, you're in the state of impurity. And being in the state of impurity means that you would not be allowed to worship during that period. It would also mean that revelation would have to stop during that period. So in order to maintain consistency and keep revelation going, because the messenger needs to share and teach revelation every day of their life. And they can have breaks. Do prophets have breaks? Have you ever heard a prophet saying, hey, what, um, hey you know what, I'm booking a ticket and going to Hawaii. No prophet would take a break. There's no, there's no holidays from the prophet's life. It's, you just got to keep going and keep going. Hence, because of the purity issue, purity and impurity issue, the scholars say this is another reason. And then the third, the scholars they say, because women would not be able to physically bear the struggle of the prophet, because the struggle is very severe. It's, it's, as the prophet said, Allah, one person asked the prophet, that which people are tested most by Allah? Who goes through the most difficulty? And the prophet said, the prophets of Allah. They go through the most difficulty. And um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put this responsibility on the men of the community. Now there are some other discussions too, um, but inshallah we'll discuss these discussions tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll, not tomorrow, next Tuesday, we'll start off the class by talking about um, the purpose of prophets. Why do prophets even come? And then we'll also talk about the number of the prophets. We'll talk about the finality of the prophets We'll also talk about inshallah in our next class about the characteristics of the Prophet, and in that we'll also touch on the issue that we touched on earlier today, the Ismatul um, Anbiya, how Prophets are safe and they are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, along with other discussions too. So we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a tawfiq to act upon what we learn. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabihi jma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.